My name is Casey Griffin. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, and I'm really excited, excited to get to share with you tonight. Um, like Keziah said when you guys first got here, if you're new, I'm glad you're here. If you're returning, I'm glad you're here. Um, regardless, I want to talk to you after service. I've decided. So especially if we've never talked before, please come talk to me after service. I'm not too intimidating, just kind of goofy. Um, but I'm not intimidating, I promise. So please come introduce yourself to me if we haven't had the chance to meet yet. Um, so, like Pastor Derek said last week, Christmas came early at Chi Alpha. So get excited because we're going to dive back in to the Christmas story and take a closer look um, at the mother of Jesus. So 2,000 years ago, there was a teenage girl younger than all of you. This girl lived a life full of religion, specifically a religion that was centered around waiting for the coming Messiah that would save all of her people. This teenage girl eventually got engaged to be married, and during her engagement, her life turned upside down. One night, this girl is met by an angel who tells her that she's going to have a baby. She wonders how this is so since she's a virgin. The angel goes on to tell her that this baby is going to be the Son of God and the Messiah that her and her people have been waiting for. This baby was going to change the world, and it was going to start with her. This girl was faced with so many questions, and it would have been really understandable for her to be filled with worries and anxieties and for her to not trust that it was going to be okay. However, God knew what he was doing when he selected that girl to carry his son. This girl trusted God and gave him her simple yes. Amidst one of the most anxiety-provoking encounters in all of human history, Mary trusted God, and this led her to being the mother of Jesus and seeing salvation for every one of us. Imagine being Mary in this predicament, okay? You're a teenager, you're unmarried, you're scared what your fiancé is going to say, you're probably feeling really unqualified to conceive and carry, let alone be the mother of, the Savior of humanity, but you trust God. It's hard to imagine God making any request more extreme than the one that he asked of Mary. Mary trusted God with her future and her body and her mind. She didn't give in to this temptation of worry. She didn't start asking all these what-if questions or point out what couldn't work about the situation. She simply just said, whatever you want, God, I'm going to do it. When asked to step out in extreme faith, Mary chose to trust God. She was level-headed and courageous, even in the midst of an angel. She accepted this outrageous and unimaginable task that God asked her, and she put her own life aside, surrendered her body and her mind to God through faith and obedience. And when we face worries in our life or things that seem impossible— Mary is a wonderful example of what trust in God and his ways look like. Many of us in this room, including myself, would not have responded the same way that Mary did. We probably would have questioned things, pointed out the flaws in this insane plan, told the angel that he had the wrong person. But Mary chose trust, and she chose not to worry. We're the most worried and anxious generation in human history. Data from our National Survey on Drug Use and Health was analyzed in 2020, examining levels of anxiety every year between the years of 2008 and 2018. Trends of anxiety and worry were elevated in every age group that they surveyed, but the most notable increase in the anxiety was among the 18 to 25-year-olds. So congrats, it's you guys. The statistics in 2008 went from being 7.97% of people um, in the survey experiencing anxiety within that last week up to 14.66% in 2018. 
Worry is second nature to most of us. And as college students and young adults, there are a lot of sources of worries all around us, right? You have all of your classwork, and maybe you feel like your assignments just keep piling up and there's no way to catch up. Or maybe you're constantly thinking about your paycheck coming and, and the next time you're going to be able to spend money. Or maybe your family or your significant other is asking you all these questions that you just don't know the answer to, and you're trying to figure out how to be an adult while you're still trying to act like you're 12. And on top of all that, you're supposed to be planning for the future and making arrangements for internships and jobs and marriage and kids, and you haven't slept in three days. But there's a lot of reasons to be worried, right? We all give ourselves reasons to be worried. But there's a much better reason to trust. So maybe in here, you're in here tonight and you're thinking, trust Jesus? I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I even believe in Jesus. I believe that the sermon is for you tonight as well. Jesus wants to build a relationship with you and show you that you can rely on him. And that's my prayer for you tonight. That he would show you just how deeply he cares for you and how much he wants to invite you into his family. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, is there a way not to be worried in the midst of the most worried generation in history? Tonight we're going to be continuing our series, Tis the Season, with a season of trust as we look to Mary's examples and how we can trust God in the midst of all this worry. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, we're going to be diving into Matthew 6 tonight. So Finding Matthew is one of my favorite ones in um, the Bible because it's the first one in the New Testament. So it's a little bit easier. So if you go about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, you'll probably find it. But if you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. So our passage tonight is right smack dab in the middle of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the um, lessons that Jesus is teaching, and it's the longest sermon ever recorded by Jesus, and it's chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Jesus has a variation of things that he's teaching his followers in here, and he talks about anything from murder and adultery to fasting and generosity, and we pick up right in chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, as he's teaching us about worry. So Matthew 6, 25 to 34 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you so much for being in this space, God. We thank you for um, just wanting to teach us about your truths tonight, God. And I just pray um, that you would allow us to just be so open to receiving from your word, to be open to receiving from this sermon that you gave so many years ago, and that it would still resonate with us, God, that it would still teach us things. We love you so much. We just pray all in your name. Amen. Amen. So our main idea tonight is we must choose to trust God with our worries. We must. Why? Great question. Because worrying doesn't make sense. Worrying doesn't make sense for a couple of reasons, and we see that very clearly in our text. So verse 27, Jesus questions, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now Jesus knows the answer to this rhetorical question, right? No. The answer is no. We, our life doesn't get longer by us being worried about the situations. 
It's quite the opposite, actually. So studies have shown that worrying causes our body's sympathetic nervous system to release stress hormones, known as cortisol. Too much cortisol has been shown to lower the immune system and actually affect our heart health. Has anyone else ever been like really stressed about a test or maybe something else going on in your life and you get like physically ill? That's what this is. So people who worry less are more likely to live longer than those who don't. John Mark Comer shared a survey done by a doctor in one of his books about a group of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists who religiously honored the Sabbath. So if you don't know what the Sabbath is, it's taking a day out of your week to honor the Lord and rest and not do any work. And so Sabbathing is a form of trusting God with your time, and that's exactly what this group did. So the doctor that was doing this study actually found out that these, um, these people group was living 10 years longer than the average American. So taking time to rest and trusting Jesus would help them get everything that they, done, they needed to get done in less time that they had to do it was actually life-giving. Trusting adds to our life. Worrying, in any case, achieves nothing except draws our focus away from Christ and his faithfulness. In verses 26... Sorry. Um, in verses 26 and uh, 28 and verses 30, Jesus gives us three different examples of things in this world that he cares for and provides for. So the birds, the lilies, and the grass are the things that he points out. They don't do any of the planting or harvest any of the crops, yet the Lord still provides food for them. The lilies, they don't do any of the things to make clothes for themselves, yet the Lord still covers them in beauty. And in verse 30, the grass, the grass that literally is here today and gone tomorrow, gets clothed by the Lord. So worrying doesn't just make sense, but, and it doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't make sense because of how well God takes care of so many things. God is so sovereign that feeding the birds and clothing the agriculture falls under his concern. The first step to trusting Jesus is acknowledging that God has already proved his faithfulness to us to take care of the things in this world, even though he didn't have to prove anything to us. He has designed the world so uniquely to be able to care for his creation. We need to lean into that truth that Jesus knows what he's doing and that we can trust him because it doesn't make sense not to. If the God of the heavens and the earth cares so deeply to provide for the birds and the lilies and even the grass in our world, how much more deeply does he care about you? In verse 26, he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus values you. I think that could be a source of a lot of the worries that we're having. is because we don't understand that Jesus values us. And I believe someone in the room needs to hear that tonight. He loves you and he wants to be with you. He loves you way more than he loves the birds and the flowers and the grass. And we know this because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross so many years ago. When he did that, he showed us just how much he values us. He gave it all for you, and we need to let that sink in. The Son of God bled for you. Doesn't it make sense that the Son of God would take care of all the other things that we're worrying about if he would do that for us? We can trust Jesus because he very evidently cares for his creation, especially his children. The thing about worry is that a good chunk of the time, we're worried about something that probably won't ever happen. A study done at Penn State University asked 29 worrisome students to write down everything that they had worried about for an entire month. The study participants also recorded the outcomes of those worries. The researchers found that 91% of the people who were worrying, those worries didn't come true. For several people in the study, not a single one of these things that they worried about actually even happened. Sometimes our worries are legitimate 
and they, they really could happen in our life. But other times, the likelihood of the things that we're worried about happening never actually happen. Worry is a choking, harmful emotion that saps your energy and tries to elevate human strength above God's strength. And like Pastor Derek pointed out last week, God knows a lot more than us. And he cares a lot more than us, too. So worrying just doesn't make sense. Back when I was engaged to my now husband, John, um, we had to do several different things while we were trying to plan the wedding and um, just trying to get our lives formatted together. Um, but one of those things that we had to do was find a place to live after we were coming back from our trip to Missouri. So we looked at a couple of different options of living, but what we had finally decided on was living in this small little house that was undergoing renovations at the time. And the plan for that house was for it to be to completed a month before the wedding. And then the plans changed, and it was going to be done a week before the wedding. And then the plans changed again, it was going to be done the day before the wedding. And at a rehearsal dinner, we found out that the house was not actually going to be done by the time that we got back from Missouri a week later. So the whole time we were down there in Missouri, my first instinct was to panic, obviously. Like, where was I going to live? What was I going to do? And we couldn't even enjoy our week because the, every free time that we were given, we were spending our time on Zillow trying to find listings that would allow us to move in as soon as possible. And I was really anxious about the situation all week, and I had no clue what was happening, even up until the point when John and I were driving back to Cedar Falls. I was like, where are we sleeping tonight? We had no idea where we were going. Eventually, we ended up calling Pastor Derek and Taylor, and they knew about the situation before, and they had offered to help us in any way possible. So that ultimately led to us getting our mattress, a suitcase of clothes, and all of our wedding presents, and sleeping in Derek and Taylor's basement for the first couple weeks of our marriage. So thankful for them. <laughs> Uh, it all worked out in the end, and we were able to find an apartment actually really quickly to move into. But that whole first week after we were married, I was so stressed and worried and anxious about our living situation, and I was constantly thinking about all the things that could go wrong or all the things that might happen if we didn't figure out a situation. But we were fine, and it all worked out, and we didn't have to sleep in our car or out in a tent because we serve a God that we can trust. We serve a God who gave us friends to provide a place for us to sleep and provided a decent apartment for us to move into as well. And looking back, it made no sense to worry about it. We honestly had several options. If Derek and Taylor didn't let us stay at their house, we had several places that we could stay. Like if push came to show, we could have gone to our parents' house. And if Mary could trust God to use her in the ways that he did, why the heck did I not trust God to help me with a living situation? I feel like the comparative is very small. And now hear me, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have concerns for things, and that means John should have been irresponsible. John and I needed to do the work and reach out to our friends and look at the possible places to live. We couldn't just sit on our bums and expect someone to offer us a place to sleep for the foreseeable future. We had to take responsibility and put forth effort. Similarly to the birds in the text, the Lord says that they didn't reap or sow crop in the field, but the Lord provided food for them. They had to go to the fields to eat the food, but the Lord still provided it. So when we put for the effort and partner with Jesus, we don't need to worry about the things that could go wrong because God has already given us this reason to trust him. Trusting in Jesus is hard, right? I'm not going to stand up here and act like I have it all figured, figured out um, and that I know it's silly not to trust Jesus. I know that, but I don't always know that. We need to start by simply recognize, recognizing when we are worrying. Worrying is such a natural part of my world personally, and too often I find myself not even noticing how much I'm worrying and not trusting Jesus. But until we recognize that we're worrying, we can't stop worrying. 
We have to ask God to help us recognize what worry is as soon as it creeps into our mind. And after recognizing it, we have to give it to God and replace it with the truth that he provides in his scripture. And when we find ourselves in these situations where we want to panic and start asking ourselves all these what-if questions and we feel our thoughts spiraling, we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this actually going to help the situation? And then take three deep breaths and actually consider the question that you just asked yourself. And as you breathe in, say, I can't. And as you breathe out, Jesus can. We have the authority through Jesus to take our thoughts captive when we're worrying and remind ourselves that worrying just doesn't make sense. Another practical thing we can do is to spend time journaling our thoughts and our worries. Personally, this has really helped me. I find myself getting really overwhelmed with my doubts that sometimes creep in. And I can't even formulate how silly they actually are until I start writing them down. And by writing them down and processing them, you're giving Jesus an avenue to show you the pointlessness of that worry. Why else does we choose to trust God with our worries? Because he knows what we need. Verses 31 through 32 says this, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus poses three questions that might have been asked to him when he was teaching these people concerning food, water, and clothing. These are some of the basic necessities of life, especially during the time that Jesus was teaching. Some of the people listening to the message probably didn't know the next time that they were going to get a good meal or the next piece of clothing that they were going to own that was actually like their size or good fit or whatever. But But for many of us, maybe it's not our clothes or our food that's actually concerning us. Some of our basic necessities honestly might be like our phone or paying off our phone bill or your car and paying off your car bill. Or maybe uh, it's your assignments and your necessity is your bachelor's degree to get the job that you want to get. Regardless of what the necessity is, Jesus is telling us not to worry or be frantic. He's not telling us that those things don't matter, however, or that we shouldn't work hard towards them. He's just telling us that we do not need to live in fear of how those things will be provided to us. And I'm sure Mary could have been worried with all the things that she knew were going to come up to raise a child. Raising a child is expensive today. I can't imagine, like, the toll that it would bring a person back in the day. But she trusted that God would provide every need to raise Jesus. Jesus continues in our text and says that the pagans run after these things. So pagans were those who didn't follow God. They had no relationship with our Heavenly Father, and unlike those, they were unlike those who were following Christ. Due to the fact that they didn't know God, they had no solution to the anxieties that they faced and focused on these worldly concerns. Unlike the unbelievers, Christ's followers realized that our Father knows everything we could ever need, and we can have the faith to believe that he can and will provide these things when we need them. Note here that Jesus says needs, not wants or desires. Jesus isn't a genie who grants our every wish, but a father who deeply cares about his child. He cares for you, and he knows what's best for you. And we have to recognize that we aren't God. We don't know what's best for us. God has your good in mind. So in the book that a lot of you guys are reading for D-groups right now, Mary Gotro says one of these, one of these things in her chapters that we read last week. She says, we, can tru- we truly can depend on him. He is always faithful and never fails. Life certainly may not be easy or pretty without suffering. Nowhere at all does the Bible say that becoming a Christian means life is going to be easy forever. What it means is that God will be with us every step of the way. We can depend on him because he never fails, he is always faithful, and he knows what we need. Back in February of this year, I got in a little fender bender with my good old 2008 Hyundai Elantra. It's actually not bad at all. I was going five miles an hour. It it was dumb, but it's okay. 
But somehow, even though the damage didn't even look that bad, the repairs ended up costing just like $30 shy of what I paid for the car four years ago. So it was totaled, which was a really good time. But John and I didn't have the money at the time to pay for a new car, which caused a lot of worry and stress in our lives and in our marriage, to be honest. But we started the process with our insurance company to see if there was any way that we could maybe trade in the car um, and receive money for the amount that the car was worth, knowing full well that my car was a piece of garbo and it was not probably worth a quarter of the price I paid for it. So John and I ended up having to share a car for about six or seven weeks, which was not fun at all. Um, I don't know if anybody else has had to share a car with somebody who needs to be a thousand different places at every time of the day different than you, but it's very inconvenient and not fun at all. We had to ask a bunch of our friends, and actually we had to ask a lot of you guys to drive us places, um, so thank you for doing that, but it was just really inconvenient and not fun. And I wanted so desperately for somebody to just like give me a car. Um, that would have been cool, but that's not what happened. Um, as the weeks went by and the doubt in my head continued to build up that we probably weren't going to get any money from our car and we'd have to share a car forever, um, I was sure that the insurance company was going to give me like $10 and that we were going to have to share this car for months and I was going to end up having to make John ride a bike around Cedar Falls. So <laughs> we didn't have a bike either. So <laughs> I was getting really frantic and questioned why this was happening to me and what was going to happen in the future. I was telling God all the reasons why this just wasn't working, and I wasn't trusting that he already knew what we needed, and I wasn't believing that he was already in the works of providing for us. And that first week in April, we got a check back from our insurance company that, um, for my totaled car, and it was worth $27 more than I paid for it four years ago, which is just literally insane. They did not look at the interior of that car because it was bad. <laughs> and even though God didn't give me the answers or the solutions to my problems right away, he'd still answered my needs. He still was able to provide for me. God knew that we needed a car and that we weren't able to buy one without that money. And so we were able to buy a car for us that cost only a little bit more than that check. God sees your needs. He knows what you need and he wants to care for you. But we have to trust that he can and will provide for us in his timing. So what does this look like practically? It means trusting Jesus and trusting that he knows what's best for us and to be obedient to the things that he asks us to do. Even if it doesn't make sense or when we feel like we know like the better option, listening to him because he's God and we're not. So this could look like trusting Jesus with your entertainment, like giving up social media or YouTube or whatever that might look like to satisfy your need for that pleasure. Or maybe with your money before making purchases on things that we don't need or worrying that we don't have money for the things we do need Coming to Jesus before and asking him where we should put our money. The only way we can trust God with these big things is to start by trusting him with these little things. So with your money, for example, we were just talking about it, like with Feed One, $10 a month is not that much, right? And so when we commit to giving $10 a month to Feed One now, and we start small now in the things we're trusting Jesus with, it's going to be a lot easier to trust Jesus in the future when we're making a lot more than we're making now and we want to tithe to our church because 10% of $40,000 is a lot more than 10% of $400. And we can know that the Lord will provide for us if we, can, if we trust him with our finances because he actually knows what we need. We can trust that God knows what's best for us and desires to give us these needs. And lastly, we must choose to trust God with our worries because he and his kingdom are so much greater than our worries. Verse 33 of our text says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the climax of the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. 
Now, instead of telling his warriors or his listeners not to worry, he's telling them what to do. He tells us to seek his kingdom. This isn't just a one-time thing. We're to consistently direct our attention to God's kingdom and to God's righteousness. Jesus then ensures his listeners that if we put him and his kingdom first, then our material needs, such as all the essential things we talked about earlier, will be provided to us. Jesus gives us the solution to worrying about trivial things, to redirect our concerns towards eternity, towards kingdom matters, and to then let God worry about the small stuff. Concerning ourselves and worrying about material things is not only just distracting us from God, but it's also totally unnecessary because putting our attention and focus on God will ultimately lead to him supplying us with those things that we need. And Jesus isn't giving us some false hope here or some unrealistic fantasy to believe in. He is merely describing our reality. Jesus wants us to concern ourselves with him and his kingdom because his kingdom is far superior to any earthly pursuits that we could ever strive for. Jesus questions from the beginning of his message that he gives that life is so much more than the things we're concerned about. We must seek God's righteousness, like Jesus says in verse 33. By pursuing God's righteousness, we're saying yes to this process of trying to look more like Jesus in every, every day, in every way possible, and in growing in our obedience to him. If we look back to verse 25, it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life is not life more than the food and the body more than clothes? As important as these material needs are in our life, they're not the most important things. There's more to life than the food we eat and the degrees we get and the jobs we have. And there's more to our bodies than the clothes we wear or the makeup we put on or the hairstyles we'd have. All of these things are temporary matters. And our focus needs to be on eternal matters. God and his kingdom are so much greater than our worries ever could be. I want you guys to think about a bee, like the insects, like the bee, that bee. A bee has a lot to do on its to-do list at any given point, right? The understanding we have about how bees work is that they're always working, never resting, always go, 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 go. That's what we call someone who's like never doing, like never resting, like a busy bee. So bees are always busy. It's easy to think that the mind of a bee, if it were similar to a human's, would constantly be thinking of the next thing that they have to do, or the next flower they have to go to, or the amount of pollen that they have to receive, which all these things could be cause for anxiousness, right? But the difference is that bees aren't doing all these things for themselves. Bees work for their hive and for their queen. Every bee is looking for ways to adhere to their queen and submit to her. Bees might look like really anxious creatures, thinking of themselves and all the things they have to get done, and the difference, though, is their motivation. They are working for a greater purpose because they understand that the hive and the queen are of the greatest value to them and that their lives and everything they do should be for the hive and for the queen. And the same is true for us. Everything we do, we can look to our king and his kingdom and know that his value is so much more than the value of the things that we are worrying about. We can allow the greatness to be our motivation to work hard and get things done without the crippling fears of the worries in the world that the world offers us. So instead of concerning ourselves with worldly things and our own pursuits, we must concern ourselves with the kingdom. We need to let this question consume our thoughts. How can I love God and people today? If you let that question consume you, God will take care of everything else and your anxieties that were consuming you before can dissipate. And if we want to move from worry to supernatural trust in Jesus, we must focus on Jesus and recognizing that worry is sinful 
and we need to confess our lack of faith to him. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, shows us a way that we can do this. It gives us a prayer to confess our anxieties to him. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This should be our prayer to Jesus. This should be our confession to him. But we have to choose to trust God with our worries. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I am not very good at trusting Jesus most of the time. I really, really, really want to, but it's really hard. And there's a lot to feel uneasy about in our world. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not worth it. As I was writing this sermon last week and last night, too, I found myself getting really worked up and really worried about it. I was scared that I was going to say the wrong things, that I wasn't going to explain the scripture well, or I wasn't going to have the right applications to give you guys. And I found myself worrying a lot about a message about worrying. But Jesus convicted me and showed me just how silly that was, that I wasn't trusting him with a sermon that wasn't even mine to begin with. He already gave it. Jesus met me where I was at and showed me where I fell short, and he asked me to trust him. He does his job so much better than I ever could. Fully trusting Jesus sounds impossible. Some of you here tonight have trusted people, people who have let you down, people who have hurt you, people who have left you. And at this point, you might feel like you are the only person that you can trust. You feel like you are capable of handling your worries and your stresses and you're in control of your life and you can carry the burdens when they all come down on you. But Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. We cannot trust ourselves. We cannot lean on our own understanding. We cannot carry the weight of the world on our backs anymore. We must give them to Jesus. And when you worry, you assume responsibility for something that you were never intended to handle. Some of us, including myself, need to recognize that we have been carrying the worries that we were never meant to handle. We need to repent for trying to do God's job and to ask him to just take these worries away. Choosing to trust Jesus with your worries is so much better than carrying them on your own. Maybe you're in here tonight and the concept that I was talking about earlier of trusting Jesus, someone who you can't see or touch seems absolutely insane. God wants to take these burdens away from you. He wants to take that overwhelming worry, this weight off your shoulders. He doesn't want you to try and carry it anymore. He loves you and he wants blessings for you. Blessings far greater than food or clothing or earthly things that he could provide for you. He wants a relationship with you. If you guys would stand with me. What would happen if we as a community committed ourselves to choosing trust over worry. In the middle of this chaotic and anxious world, we looked different, surrendering ourselves to God's peace and choosing to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. What about when our relationships get messy? We can choose to trust Jesus. What about when our classes get harder? We can choose to trust Jesus. What about when life gets crazy? We can choose to trust Jesus. Living without worry sounds impossible. Almost as impossible as living without breathing. Some people are so hooked on worry, when they're not worrying about anything, it feels like something is missing. 
Jesus' invitation to trust him and give our worries up to him is something that only few people take up. And at any given moment, there could be someone on this campus who's caught up in this turmoil of worry. What if we, as Christ followers, showed them a different way? Nobody wants to be anxious. Nobody wants to worry about the things that they have no control over. But when people have nothing or no one greater than themselves to trust in, worry takes over and we inevitably fall. But Jesus wants to offer this foundational trust to all of us, to all people who could come to know him. But we have to show those other people around us what this trust looks like. It starts with us. We have to be the ones who start trusting Jesus fully so that other people can see the beauty and the peace that Jesus offers. I believe there's some people in this room that are questioning whether or not this Jesus can be trusted. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus or you once did and you have since fallen away. Jesus is asking you to trust him with your life tonight. We can trust that God provides everything for us because he's already given us the best thing that we could ever imagine. God has given us relationship with him. The creator of all things, the creator of you and me came down to this earth and died for us. He lived the perfect death and or he lived the perfect life and died the perfect death and he died in place for you and me to pay the price for our sins. He died to have relationship with us. And everything we have ever done and everything we will ever do, he paid the price that that penalty would have had on us. And because of that provision that God has already given us and the relationship that Jesus offers, we get to walk in harmony with him. So if you guys would bow your head and close your eyes, I just wanted to give some of those people that opportunity to respond to Jesus tonight, which is something we get to do every week at Kyle So if you're here tonight and you feel like that's you, that you want to begin this relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna ask that you would just raise your hand. This is just a signal to Jesus that you're ready to trust him with your life and that you're willing to surrender what he wants to do in and through your life. You're willing to surrender and give relationship to him. So nobody's looking around. This is just between you and Jesus. If you would just raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us. God, thank you so much for these new brothers and sisters in Christ. God, thank you for paying the price. Jesus, we just honor you for the things that you've done and the things that you continue to do, God, for paying our price so many years ago that we get to walk in trust with you. We get to walk in relationship with you. Father, I pray that every person in here would just start to trust you with their lives, God, that they would give you everything that you have already given us, Jesus. We just thank you for that. And there's others of us in here who, for being honest with ourselves, we haven't been trusting God with our worries at all. And it's easy to feel like it's too late or that I've already been doing this all on my own, so why start now? I want to invite you to choose to trust Jesus tonight, to let him carry the worries of the world, the worries that he knows how to handle way better than us. And I guarantee you, as you choose to trust Jesus and trust that he only has good intentions for you, chains and patterns of perpetual worry and distress will start to break off your life. You'll start to see those patterns break. And if you want to start this process to, and commit to start to choose to trust Jesus, I just want you to have you guys put your, all your hands like this. We're going to receive from Jesus tonight. We're going to allow him to just speak such truth into our lives. So Jesus, I just pray that this group of people would be the most trusting group that we could ever be. God, that we wouldn't be willing to hold on to our anxieties and our worries any longer, God. That we would just surrender them to you because we know that you can carry them far better than we ever could. Jesus, I just pray for the next several days and weeks as, as anxiety and worries start to pop up in our heads, God, that we would recognize them in the moment and we would say that those belong to you, that those can only be handled and carried by you, Jesus. 
I just pray that we recognize these worries, God, that we would replace them with the truth that only you can offer. We'd replace them with what your word says. And Jesus, I just pray that our hearts would just be so softened to what you are doing, God, and that we would be able to see all the reasons why we can trust you, God, because you've already proved it time and time again that we we get to trust you, Father. And I just pray that we would commit to choosing trust. I love you so much, Jesus. Just pray your name.